1: Hello, and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Valkaran. Uh, More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Stephanie Corgliano, who is Editorial Director at Embodied Philosophy, and also a lecturer at Cal Poly Humboldt. Um, Stephanie, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Raj. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We are going to talk about this thing called Tarka, but I imagine many threads shall emerge because you're one of these folks where um, I think we've had three or four different opportunities to sort of collaborate or be in the same field in various spaces. It's it's fascinating, but now I've got you on the podcast, <laughs> all to myself and whoever's listening. Um, I guess um, perhaps the first uh, thing we should talk about perhaps for listeners is Tarka. What is Tarka?
0: Uh, Tarka is a journal that is published by the online learning platform, Embodied Philosophy. And um, it emerged after, you know, Embodied Philosophy kind of made its mark with another podcast, Chitheads, with that hosted by Jacob Kyle, and then also moved into hosting courses and et cetera, you know, certificate programs for yoga philosophy and held this kind of space for online education for, you know practitioners that were looking to deepen their sense of practice and uh, really Bridge you know stand within a position of maybe um, becoming scholar practitioners so um, having some commitment to practice and an interest to you know in scholarship and so Tarka has emerged from that context and it's a journal that um, similarly tries to live in the space between scholarship and practice and so we try to have you know longer, more in-depth articles that are scholarly in nature, some more simple um, pedagogical articles that might just answer questions like "What is" or "Who is," and some more practice-based um, uh, articles, including you know, a, a small investigations into basic fundamentals of Sanskrit or um, or elements of meditation practice and kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. It just so happens that. Sometimes I'll go a few weeks without a podcast recording one, I should say. They're always released weekly. And sometimes I will just schedule two or three in the same day when I'm in podcast flow, I suppose. Or hopefully uh, the listeners will have to judge for themselves. (laughs) But um, I just interviewed uh, um, Rick Repetty, who who edited this fascinating volume. Um, It was the Rutledge Handbook uh, uh, for the Philosophy of Meditation. And one of oh, the key themes, uh, he, he talks about his his journey as both uh, an experience or having had mystical experiences and, and, and meditative experiences, and then uh, deciding to do analytic philosophy, Western <laughs> 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 philosophy, and probably encountering some sort of you know uh, yeah, a chasm. <laughs> and interestingly enough, he's produced he's he's edited this volume so as to say to his discipline, hey practices um maybe worth engaging or thinking seriously about or or yeah so so uh, here we are um synchronistically i'm speaking to you about this dovetailing of practice and um study that uh seems to be at the heart of embodied philosophy um and at the heart of arca um would yeah, you, you know, say that's yeah go on please go, go on. ahead
0: no i just wanted to say you know i've uh, a decade ago Fifteen years ago, I think the concept of the scholar-practitioner is something that was very at home within Christian theological investigations. You have, you know, at least within the West, in the United States and Europe, you have a well-established. Old schools of theology, where it's common to be a Christian and to study your own tradition within that, and in that sense, not just unpacking maybe what ancient texts said, but constantly wrestling with the meaning of those ancient texts for contemporary time and practice. And this this kind of engagement, of course, is you know, is uh, present within Indian scholarship in India, but how how I think transnationally and how yogics you know people that are doing meditation and yoga and even Buddhist studies um, Hindu studies at the university level throughout a lot of these lot uh, throughout the United States and kind of the northern hemisphere um, has has really kind of separated that and a lot of times you would have a practicing Buddhist who's an amazing scholar but they wouldn't reveal, the insights from their practice in their scholarship, they might keep that part hidden in, in the effort to really uh, join within um, in, join within the the the, dis, the discipline of religious studies, which requires this kind of objective point of view for scholarship. So it you know try to not evangelize, not follow into those uh, pitfalls that you know maybe Christian theologians did when they. You Know that when there was really a priority on evangelization for you know the pursuit of theology, but theological insight is so much more than just trying to convince others to think like you.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's this oh, there's so much to be said. There's this, um, perhaps you know, uh, important um distinction in the foundation and formation of religious studies and this very self conscious, um. Uh, you might even think of it as an identity crisis, but it's more of a a need to disambiguate or demarcate the discipline, the academic study of religion from thriving emic paradigms, particularly in the Christian world, as you say. And it seems that uh, while steering clear of those pitfalls, the pendulum clearly uh, has swung towards the other direction where there is more space now. I did, um, Two of my degrees, my BA and my Masters at the University of Toronto, I had a great time. I had uh, great training. Um, you know, studied with some world class scholars. For that question, I certainly would not have been forthcoming about my spiritual heritage or the master I was studying with alongside <laughs> that training or any of that because I would have felt that that would have been that would have um, that would have given uh, others the license of putting me in a box. It's either or or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But at this point, um, I think it's becoming, in my particular perspective, not just with my journey, but many of the people that I interview and many of the conversations that we have at so many of these platforms, uh, you know, uh, EP, you know, my own school, yogic studies, et cetera, et cetera. um, It's abundantly clear that there are folks who can do do both well. And when they can do both well, they cross-pollinate in profound ways. But, you know, good scholarship has to be good scholarship. Um, uh, having said that, um, uh, the, one can be a connoisseur and a nutritionist at the same time, right? Um, uh, so Tarka, so so, what is it that Tarka, just let's drill down on this a bit. Uh, what is it that Tarka offers a readership, say, that may be difficult to find in other places?
0: Um, let's see. that. I think to make another comparison with the field of Buddhist studies and how Buddhism has kind of um, been integrated into Western education, I think there was a a very robust sense of scholarship accompanying kind of the dissemination of mindfulness training uh, in a lot of university settings, and then you had Um, figures like John Kabat-Zinn doing things like mindfulness-based stress reduction, so a kind of secularization of Buddhist meditation practices and this kind of thing. For yoga, for yoga studies, there's been far less of this kind of um, rigorous engagement with tradition and with practice. And so, while you have, uh, you might have something like Yoga Journal, but Yoga Journal has been more of a marketing, and it has its own merits and it stands in its own place alongside a number of other kind of Buddhist pr- practices. But there hasn't been, you know, a great amount in the, um, of scholarship done within yogic studies. It's a fairly new, fresh field that's really taken shape within the last ten years to be taken seriously as a study, st- as a student of yoga studies. Um, You see, you know, there's always been Hindu scholars, but to specifically specialize in something like the field of yoga is is new and different. And and I think what Tarka does is we are bridging that kind of the new face of what is happening in in the study of yoga from the practice and from the philosophy and trying to sometimes connect this very um, strange bridge between the past and the present and also looking to, you know, what is the future of all of this.
1: How do folks access Tarka?
0: Uh, it is mostly through the website. So there's an online version that you can purchase on, and, um, and you know, can order a print copy. The one thing that we're really proud of with the issue of park, uh, Tarka is the artwork that also comes into it. It's kind of, it's not just a, a collection of articles that it has this um, it has, you know, a lot of attention to um. The design and the we usually feature some kind of visual essay in the center there's poetry and so the physical tangible copy you can also order from the website but it's um it's a nice piece of work to hold in your hand which is another thing that we're really proud of that it's you know satisfying you can sit in a in a chair and get time away from screens and just take in the the articles on their own
1: it really is fascinating the ways in which um both the practice, uh, well, I guess the practice, the study and the interplay uh, between the two in the yoga world is manifesting in these times. Uh, Never did I see myself venturing into the yoga practitioner world per se. And yet the vast majority of people who come to this thing called the School of Indian Wisdom are what? Yoga teachers, people who are very interested in yoga. Literally, the, the public book is not, anything i planned to write it was a response to a request from students about yoga stories and i find it utterly fascinating both from as a teacher in, in in a certain related niche and also just as an observer of reality where you know 12 years ago when i started my public teaching i would have been very um keen to disambiguate like you know yoga is a darshana it's a technical term <laughs> whereas now no yoga it's a four-letter word yes we know it's a four-letter word <laughs> it means a lot of things a lot of people but you know yoga is you know postural stuff that um that that that, that uh, pervades most modern cities uh much like starbucks um and and that's that and it, but it's more than that for those who are interested in learning and, and and who is what is that and and how do we make sense of that what sorts of folks might be interested in contributing to TARCA I imagine you're looking for contributors on a regular basis as well so could you tell us a bit about that
0: yeah um I send the call for papers out to our we have kind of a core uh group of writers so I always you know ask people that have been involved with embodied philosophy for years now I also send it out to a South Asian studies um list uh so I look for um You know, I have a certain amount of contacts that might be more senior academics and we get a few articles from people like that. And I'm also always encouraging them to let me know if they have, you know, promising graduate students that have new papers. I reflect on being in graduate school and the copious amounts of writing that you needed to do to, to survive graduate school. And, you know, some of those papers were decent quality. Some could have been chopped up and you could pull out three good pages Um, And so, you know, why not contribute that and share that uh, in a larger scope. And then, you know, we also have, uh, um, you know, we have a a number of practitioners, teachers that have been well established within their discipline. They might have their own communities or help to nurture particular communities. So they have an angle on wisdom that's really steeped within experience. And um, and so we like to include those people as well.
1: Are the volumes, I mean, you may or may not be aware, I'm not sure if you listen to the podcast, uh, no harm, no foul either way, but I ask for the record, purposefully naive questions. Um, <laughs> just so you don't think I'm adult, but are the volumes <laughs> themed or? Like,
0: hey, um, hey Raj, didn't you ever pick up this issue? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. Are the are the, vol- are the volumes themed or, and, and how often, how regular are they?
0: Yes, well, um, they are themed. Uh, each one we've done this kind of, uh, on the scholar practitioner i think we have on bhakti on illusion so we have these different thematic topics that title and then um, the call for papers usually describes the variety of ways in which the theme can be understood or the directions that it could go and you know we try to uh, choose themes that are broad enough in scope that they can maybe even be you know translated in radically different ways. So for example, right now we have a call for papers out for the topic of on power. And when you hear or think about the topic of power, it could be in a really negative light in sense of abuse of power or corrupt power or abusive leaderships. And you also have, you know, the real pursuit of spiritual cities of, of, of power in an, in another kind of sense, that's fundamental to the reason why people might practice. Uh, or what might be described as real effects of practice. So it can go a few different ways.
1: There's an idea in the back of my brain. Uh, I mean, when you uh, pass the clutter and the dust and all that in the cobwebs, uh, there, there are a couple of gems in that rusty old drawer. Um, uh, one of the ideas, a number of the ideas have to do with uh, the Devi Mahatmya because I had just spent so much dissertating on a text and I was keen to just read it day in and day out to familiarize myself with the with the primary texts prior to thinking about it um, in the secondary sources. But one of the ideas in the back of my brain is um, an article on, on, on the vision of power in the Devi Mahatmya. Not just, you know, obviously Shakti, the goddess power energy, but the purpose of power, the purpose of social power, you know, um, yeah, yeah. why is it that the goddess, you know, um, um, consecrates and sanctifies and represents, you know, a kingship or even, you know, by extension, perhaps a political office? Yeah, like, what is the purpose of power? Uh, it feels to me that the Devi Mahatma is making an implicit narratological argument about power's purpose, social power, I mean. Um, and so uh, that just popped into my brain as you mentioned this this um, this volume on power. Yeah, um, it's a
0: perfect. I mean, that would be a perfect kind of explorative article that we would love for you to write for us, Raj.
1: <laughs> great, great. Was, I, no, I, I, I should, you, you know. I have to. I have to be careful what I think aloud because <laughs> I think aloud a lot on this podcast, but it's being recorded. But I think part of the inviting nature of the podcast is I quite often forget that I'm being recorded. <laughs> All right. Apparently, uh, I'll be contributing to Tarka at some point soon. Um,
0: Perfect.
1: the podcast yeah. is such a fertile space, right? I talk to, uh, you know, colleagues of various stripes. Um, but it's hilarious. This is hilarious, right? I have Nick Sutton from the OCHS continuing studies. I interview him to promote the courses because I think, you know, the brilliant courses when we're done, he asks, you know, do you want to, you want to come teach for us? I'm like, sure. I can't have, uh, i'm seth powell on the podcast to promote you know the courses and just for the record i mean there's no i mean there, there's no uh, there's no monetary but like i get nothing out of it obviously um and uh, he's like hey, do you want to teach a course for us yoga and hindu mythology that course was actually the genesis of the yoga stories book i have jacob kyle on the podcast <laughs> to promote what they're doing at embodied philosophy when i'm done it's like do you want to teach a course for us i thought Okay, now here you are. You know, do you want to write an article for us? Um, nice. Speaking, speaking, of, speaking of Jacob Kyle, um, the founder of EPE, this uh, educational platform, um, you know, uh, 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 was Turkey's idea, was it yours? What, you know, what, how did, what's the genesis of this project?
0: Um, I met Jacob Kyle through uh, one of my mentors, Chris Chappell at Loyola Marymount University. Um, Jacob was looking, he had the original idea for this journal, Tarka, and he was looking for someone to edit and kind of curate the article, the the the, the journal. Um, so that introduction happened and we really hit it off. Um, I spent two years creating a version of Tarka that was strictly online, and it was um, about 80% uh, republished material. So I really just spent time kind of looking for other people's work that might have been lost, uh, in the dust or forgotten, you know, things that had been excellent articles that people write that sometimes, you know, were published five years ago and now you can, you know, bring new life to them. And so kind of created in a compilation, always thematic, um, on different topics. And we did that for about two years. And then, um, and then we moved into this kind of new version of, Let's, um, let's put some more care into the layout and design. Let's create something that can be held in your hand. And, um, and so that's, you know, it's been a, a labor of love. We, we at embodied philosophy, we refer to Tarka sometimes as the kind of crown jewel of what we're doing, um, because it's not, uh, it's not as it's not an aspect of embodied philosophy that makes money. Um, it's really kind of what we do, um, because we can, because we do all of the other things we can produce Tarka and it, you know, and it, so it's an opportunity and, an, and a place where we are pushing kind of the scholarship that we hope to see more of in the world, uh, forward and, you know, over time, hopefully it will gain enough readership and, and a little bit more, um, light in the world and, and be more easily accessible.
1: Sounds like a labor of love. Um, I can, it is. I, I can, uh, <laughs> um, that resonates. Um, there are aspects of my work in the world that are monetized and there are those, um, 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 uh, uh, scholarship podcasting that aren't, but they're important and vital. And it's the monetized pieces that, that, you know, support me so that I could be this, um, thing called a self-employed scholar, whatever that means, <laughs>
0: The food in the belly right <laughs> you, need the, you need you need the the fuel
1: um no i i i quite it's it's precarious but it's quite fulfilling to actually entrepreneur and, and and create value for folks and and support yourself thereby uh but of course it means you know i've been traveling in australia for a while to host a retreat primarily and now i've got to now you know create a course um <laughs> uh, variety of reasons Um, but one of those is because i love material i love sharing it i had a very fulfilling time actually uh teaching at ep the crowd seemed to the audience the students were so engaged it was is a brilliant time actually um
0: yeah i think i would just add to that we've done you know a couple years of these yoga philosophy certificate programs and um I think sometimes as someone who teaches at a university and I enter classrooms um, teaching 100 level courses where really nobody in my course, you know, sometimes there's a couple of students that have some background or experience in the topic of what I'm teaching when it's a 100 level course. But um, oftentimes there are people that, you know, the most basic terms or concepts are brand new to them. And the audience of people that, that I encounter in embodied philosophy tends to, you know, I feel a great reverence for the students that show up because even when they might lack some of the vocabulary or they haven't really read thoroughly some of the texts, they all, they are coming in with a depth of experience um, where each person, almost every time I've taught every session that I've, you know, um, that I've curated or that I've kind of, uh, uh, mediated in some way i feel like i'm learning from the people that are there and i know that they're learning from each other so there's there's mm-hmm. really a different kind of spirit of that you know adult learner that's wants to be there that's there because they just want to be there
1: uh, i'd say 90 percent of my teaching has been continuing studies for lack of a better word and um, uh, with a huge subsection of that being seekers you know spiritual knowledge seekers Uh, in particular, and um, uh, it seems to me the person who learns the most teaching adult learners is the teacher, I suppose a teacher. (laughs) Um, Have you noticed any trends since you've been uh, editing Tarka, whether with scholarship, whether with courses, whether with online? Really, this question is not, I'm not looking for anything in particular. It's just a generative question. What trends have you noticed, if any, in the last few years?
0: I think there's more and more, um, knowledge. I think the knowledge base of what, how people, um, what people know about yoga history and about kind of the context of early yoga practices and kind of an understanding of their own position with yoga is increasing. That's not to say that, that there's not, um, cultural appropriation, that there's not ongoing issues with the way yoga shows up in the world in different places that there's not. Problems or things that we could analyze, but I do see a, a kind of a renaissance, a, a maturing of this transnational postural yoga, you know, uh, group of people that are taking more seriously the history and context from which they have received the practices that they're doing, and I think that's really exciting. It's nice to see people. Combining also concerns that are really particular to our time, uh, issues around social justice and, um, you know, racial equality, environmental activism, all of these kind of things, weaving into the reason why people practice and how they practice and what they teach. I I think those intersections are really exciting. And I think that that's, um, I see the very idea that yoga yoga scholarship within yoga is becoming far more commonplace place, I think, is a really exciting trend.
1: Speaking of trends, um, what future topics might one anticipate uh, for
0: I'll, um So right now we have we will very soon be releasing a, an issue on Tantra. Um, and in the works, we also have uh, an, an, a secondary issue on teaching. So these two have been kind of in the works and those that have been writing or got used to reading Tarka have been asking, where is the next issue? Um, but this is, uh, it's been a, it's, we had a bit of a lull and now we're ready to roll out some new issues. So those two will be on the horizon. And I mentioned the call for papers for on power, and then we have um, kind of an exciting, uh, next couple of topics, um, Jacob Kyle is running kind of a thematic campaign on this idea of the future of the yoga teacher, and so we'll be examining that um, through a number of different you know kind of courses and conversations with Embodied Philosophy. But that will also culminate in an issue of Tarka, and we have another one of our editors at Embodied Philosophy, um, Latanya will be doing a, um, a special. Issue and a thematic campaign on social justice and the intersections of social justice concerns and contemplative practice.
1: This whole idea of the future of the yoga teacher just utterly fascinates me. As you know, I, I do have training in the Yoga Sutras, uh, but I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I do postural yoga for myself. I'm not a, an asana teacher. Um, and yet, so many in my tribe are uh, interested in asana plus. and And um, I get regular emails from folks saying could you do um, a unit for our YTT you know so people are really i think reaching out and at least in my particular perspective and stepping up in terms of um you know I mean, so much i mean i was i was on uh doing some teaching in in, in Honolulu uh on to the teaching in in Australia and One of the students there was a yoga teacher and um, uh, she was like, look, I can palpably feel that my students are looking for more than the postures, but I don't really know how to proceed with that. And I'm not sure what to share or how to share. And so it was a fascinating exchange because it really illumines for me um, the need among many yoga teachers for some kind of uh, pedagogical resource or uh, who knows what that would look like but clearly um why why that idea of the future of the yoga teacher resonates so much is i have so many yoga teachers who are trying to figure out their own future as yoga teachers so i think that's fascinating actually
0: yeah it's it is it, it, at a certain point in history i think um being a yoga teacher would not have been ever, you know, considered a career. (laughs) If it was maybe a a path that you would choose um, and a path that would require, even in modern times, a certain measure of renunciation, a certain giving up of of pursuing some other type of career or um, greater monetary success. And I think, you know, the last few decades have given this other possibility where we saw kind of yoga stars come up and people you know instagram yogis making you know making fame and a possibility of fortune and yoga teacher trainings kind of promising that anyone could become the next yoga star and you know you take trainings and deepen knowledge and you know it's it's kind of a um you know a a promise of the next possibility, how to deepen your practice, but also how to, you know, how to share the practice with other people and maybe make a living while doing it. Um, And post-pandemic, we're in a new phase. Um, A lot of people that dedicated certain part of their life to learning an element of practice to share with others really could not keep their doors open. Um, They could not, you know, sustain the, the practice of teaching yoga. So I think it's kind of In a sense, a full circle back to you know recognizing that there are certain sacrifices that coming come along with this kind of path of teaching and sharing knowledge, and also um you know, wondering what what's that what is that gonna look like in the future, and you know what are the obligations, the moral uh um the moral requirements of the next generation of yoga teachers, also, you know we're no we're moving out of a paradigm of kind of an author, authoritarian leadership model into you know greater concerns for um, I think how we're connected to one another and how we can share leadership
1: yeah there's uh I want to have a nerdy conversation with you about the Devi mahatmi at some point, but uh, we'll keep this we'll keep this more accessible my uh my di- power dynamics in the Devi Mahatmya synapses are firing. <laughs> but let, let's, just, let's just keep this uh, accessible for everyone. Um, your, so, so Embodied Philosophy is a platform, clearly, that offers um, uh, courses, uh, um, more intellectual, more experiential, you know, uh, dovetailed. Uh, but beyond the offering of education and beyond the publication of Tarka, from what I can infer from much of the conversation and also a a relatively recent online conference that we we were both on a panel on, if I'm not mistaken, is there seems to be a a real interest in trends, interest in this larger sociocultural movement that we're in the middle of and making sense of and mapping, you know, all that is transpiring uh, that we can perceive around us at this time. And, I imagine that would be purposeful and uh, and conscious or is it just sort of uh, just a way of being, but it's, it's clear to me that that an EP really strives to keep its finger on the pulse of trends Um, without putting words in your mouth. Would you, would you care to comment on that?
0: Um, I think that from my own perspective and my role um, as kind of one of the directors of the editorial content at embodied philosophy. I'm really deeply interested in the formation of community and how community forms and how it sustains itself, um, and how it becomes, you know, meaningful and powerful. And I think my own experience, um, you know, a couple of 20 years ago or so with, um, learning yoga practices was in the context of community and feeling a great fellowship and you know, deep friendships with other people that helped, you know, keep uh, and further a commitment to practice. Um, And so moving forward, I think, you know, we have to reimagine what it means to say that we're part of a community. Um, Even uh, traditional uh, temples and um, religious organizations are needing to reconcile with reimagining what it is to have community in the face of kind of the internet and virtual meeting spaces. But I do think we can find languages that solidify community and, you know, studying common texts, sharing common concerns, ethical values, and that kind of thing are all kind of ways that we reach across our, you know, our geographic divides and our, um, and our, you know, our, our even um, dif- differences in actual physical practice, uh, we can cross and you know, we can create bridges across those differences with certain tools. And that's really kind of the, those tools are provided for by kind of the the richness of traditional knowledge. And, and so I, I, you know, I think the creation of community is a really important factor. And when we start talking about something like spiritual citizenship or social justice, or even the future of what it is to have leaders within those kind of communities, that's, those are all, um, you know, important and current issues, but embodied philosophy, I should also say, just has a general interest in kind of furthering some of these spicier questions. So when we come to, you know, power relates to community, but it also just relates to like, you know, what drives your practice? Um, And the pursuit of power is, you know, can be taken in so many different ways. So yeah, there's a a hot button issues and kind of a, a broader idealized vision of possibilities
1: listen some folks like spice (laughs) (laughs) there's certainly a market for it um excellent Um, (laughs) is there anything else about tarka or ep or really anything at all that you had hoped or would like to touch on before we close for today
0: Uh, i i'm grateful that you carved the time out to start to talk raj i it's really a pleasure Um, i'm excited to you know think about more, a few more people looking into tarka uh, reaching out to me for contributions or to be you know writers for us um and you know that's uh stay tuned
1: stay tuned oh there'll be people reaching out um <laughs> please by all means if you feel you might be a decent fit you know reach out if you happen to have grad students or are grad students you know Uh, The link is posted below in the podcast notes. And I have firsthand knowledge that uh, Stephanie is um, very accessible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've had some encounters where uh, we were on, I think, a couple panels uh, at different times. Um, This podcast, of course, but we met once, once in person in Denver, Colorado. I believe. well, you, you were at the podcast party, weren't you?
0: Yes yeah I yes, made it I just recall. right before the Society for Hindu Christian studies
1: Yes yeah. yes yes convenient,
0: oh, convenient uh, location
1: yeah I'll have to perhaps retime uh, you know reschedule uh, find a different slot for the the hopefully annual podcast party because I'm sure there are many people at that uh, Hindu Christian studies event who would 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 have loved to partake and would be more than welcome to. Um and then we yeah, we had some adventures in Denver. That was great. Uh we even had a bit of time at the Raj Mahal. <laughs> um, it was <laughs> hilarious. You, you you wouldn't believe this. You you know, I do not usually a sucker for for marketing or upsells at all, but I'm, I'm 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 kind of making my way to to Denver to the hotel. The hotel sends me this 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 upsell email, you know. Um, consider getting a suite, blah 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 blah. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> honestly, all I need is somewhere to sleep wash up. I'm, I'll be schmoozing you know i'll be meeting people but the vibe was like no you know what you're probably gonna need this and it was hilarious there were like four or five of you where like that common space was perfect because i you know i wouldn't particularly be comfortable inviting someone to you know my room room obviously but that common space was perfect like uh there were a number of you and i'm like yeah. okay clearly whether it's That's- a sweeter or clearly i need to host even when i'm in person with people so it was great. I had a good time. Actually, it was really nice.
0: Yeah, the the podcast party was a really wonderful uh, space to have conversation and actually meet some of these authors and people that I've talked to or read their work only, and and you know may, see old friends and make a few new ones. And um, and it was the Raj Mahal was also a great little. Space to have quiet and not not be so such a loud environment and actually have a good conversation.
1: Yeah, that's that's the strategy for future finding. You know whether whether whatever whatever whether they're getting a suite or finding some other space because, um for my temperament in particular, just I mean hotel lobbies are lovely, you know, or, or hotel restaurants uh, are lovely, but there's just so much to be distracted by with people and sounds and it's great. So I think I will. Plan on doing some hosting uh, for conversations and meetings in future, uh, after future parties. Anyhow, uh, we will continue the jit chat. <laughs> after I formally close, it's been a long day, and I'm forgetting that we're on a podcast. Uh, but thank you very much for appearing. Um, for those listening, we have, of course, been speaking with Dr. Stephanie Corgogliano about um, Tarka, about P and about this, this new horizon in the field of yoga practice and, and studies that, that we are collectively embarking upon. Until next time, keep well, keep safe, uh, keep contemplating all things yoga. Uh, you can reach out to me uh, uh, for the podcast on Twitter at Dr. Raj Bakran. Take care.